So this is the continuation of my series of uh, One Purpose Wonders. Uh, the last video, the first video that I did was an analysis of Madonna, how she represents rebellion of a nation. And moving on to Apple, which is where Genesis really started with the story of Adam and Eve to uh, eat out of the forbidden fruit and caused the fall of man into where we are now. Uh, Eve didn't believe when she ate the fruit that she was going to die because Satan lied. He said, you shall eat the fruit and you shall not die. She believed Satan and thereafter death got introduced into the world, sin got introduced into the world and now we're participating with the fallen angels and how they are managing to control people and corporations to do their bidding. Satan has a plan to bring everything into his kingdom and create his kingdom. So he's been starting since Adam and Eve and he's been working up slowly uh, dominating different things and controlling how man behaves and what they're creating. And so this series kind of attempts to show the progression of, at least in my lifetime, how all this has been accelerating to finally where all of these technologies and people's ideologies, um, Satan ideology really, is going to come together to build his kingdom. And each part of it is doing its own role, its own function. And it's only one purpose that they have. Even though they might do many things in their careers and might say many things and seems like a distraction, more like a personality people follow or something that you know makes them an icon. But in reality, they always had one single purpose that Satan kind of orchestrated uh, from beginning to end. So Apple's story started with, you know, its first personal computer. It's a small computer that people could actually own and do something in their own home. Because in, you know, before this, the Apple Macintosh came out, even like before IBM, there's dealings with IBMs, most of the computers were like big mainframe type big equipment that needed building and a lot of employees to take care of. So Steve Jobs is the one that kind of really pushed through all of that and got his uh, company started with Apple and did the first uh, introduction to the Macintosh, which uh, the video will be posted. And you can see Steve Jobs' progression as he started out as a young guy. You know, he looked great, he talked great, he had so much smile. And, you know, it, it was like, it was probably the most happiest time in his world, I'm sure. And he's doing groundbreaking technology. And even, you know, today I'm excited about Apple products. I mean, I use the computers, I use the iPhone, and they are one of the kind to be able to do a lot of creative stuff, but also it's kind of app-based, so like you, whatever function that you want to do, there's always some sort of app that you can download and work in your productivity. Where, you know, like the Microsoft platform is a little bit different. It was more business-oriented, 
and it got its applications with the Microsoft Word and and you know PowerPoint and, and Excel, and it kind of dominated in that field. But it wasn't really meant for creativity and using different apps to kind of work around whatever your project is. So Apple has really been great for a lot of that. And but you know the downside is you know right now they haven't been so vocal like some of the other companies of who they stand for but uh, ultimately they are ushering in the beast order system that's going to come into play and what they're really good at is that they're everything that you do online all your productivity is really developed and controlled by Apple so not only through the iPhone but then your computers and all that data that you're generating every second that you use these technology so they provided the platform and the software is you know is being developed day by day and it really ultimately comes down to your private uh, user rights so you know where are they gonna stand I mean I think their logo kinda says it all that they stood with Satan uh, you know the, the Apple logo represents the fall of man that he partook in the Apple of course, the biblical story doesn't mention what kind of fruit Eve ate, but the story itself has been developed by man to think it was an apple, and that's what they've been using. So it's fine. It doesn't matter what the fruit is. But the idea is that, you know, Eve disobeyed God and took the forbidden fruit and forever to from the tree of good, uh, good and evil and knowledge. So, you know, now you have computing power that is transforming that knowledge good and evil at a faster and faster rate where if you think about it nothing in the world nothing would have progressed all those other companies if it wasn't for a personal computer or at least computing power and it allowed everyone to participate not just few dominant corporate uh, entities so without this I don't think the beast system could have really developed uh, as the fast rate that it's doing now. You know, this is in my lifetime. You know, I, I started out with no computers, no cell phones, and then the very first, you know, few computers that came out with IBM or whoever, um, and then Apple, you know, with his Macintosh. And slowly by slowly, everything got sleeker and smaller and more advanced you know now with your iPhone that is a computer you can watch TV you can watch videos you know whatever you want to do on there and all the apps that generates your life you know you connect it to your banking your travel everything you possibly can do you can do it all on your iPhone or any smartphone so you know they are a leading company I think by far that kind of initiated this whole computerized world that we're in um, so I've, I have a couple of videos that you can watch uh, with this one that kind of showcase how Apple started out and Steve Jobs in particular and what's amazing you know his progression as a young guy to an older uh, version of himself where he started out with the uh, I think the first Macintosh was called Lisa um, but uh, anyway, the from that, you know, when he did the introduction for that, all the way up to where he, his introducing the iPhone, 
you know, and it's so amazing to watch the audience, the video presentation, and everything that started from, you know, the early days to where he uh, left the company at. But what's ironic, we're kind of going back into that system, even though, like, that's how Steve Jobs envisioned his life or the economy back then. But really, after we have all this stuff, you know, all this technology, we're suddenly being now controlled by it and reverting back to what his vision was of 1984. We are in 1984. The, the, you know, the more stuff that they gain, the more power that they have through technology uh, in gaining access to our data, our lives, and controlling, you know, what we click, where we shop, what we do, is essentially the end game. And the sad part is, I don't know if Steve Jobs, you know, like the, all these people are super talented and brilliant and they made a major change in the world like no other. I mean, one person pretty much changed the entire culture of the world just like that overnight. So they are who they are, but I think they're also being facilitated, you know, like th that's part of their journey is that Satan still has an ultimate plan and he used Apple, he used uh, Steve Jobs and Madonna and everyone else, you know, that I'm going to be talking about. Steve Jobs. It is 1958. IBM passes up the chance to buy a young fledgling company that has invented a new technology called Xerography. Two years later, Xerox is born, and IBM has been kicking themselves ever since. It is 10 years later the late 60s. Digital equipment, DEC, and others invent the mini-computer. IBM dismisses the mini-computer as too small to do serious computing and therefore unimportant to their business. DEC grows to become a multi-hundred million dollar corporation before IBM finally enters the mini-computer market. It is now 10 years later, the late 70s. In 1977, Apple, a young, fledgling company on the West Coast, invents the Apple II, the first personal computer as we know it today. IBM dismisses the personal computer as too small to do serious computing and unimportant to their business. The early 80s, 81. Apple II has become the world's most popular computer and Apple has grown to a $300 million company, becoming the fastest growing corporation in American business history. With over 50 competitors vying for a share, IBM enters the personal computer market in November 81 with the IBM PC. 
1983. Apple and IBM emerge as the industry's strongest competitors, each selling approximately $1 billion worth of personal computers in 1983. Each will invest greater than $50 million for R&D and another $50 million for television advertising in 1984, totaling almost one quarter of a billion dollars combined. The shakeout is in full swing. The first major firm goes bankrupt with others teetering on the brink. Total industry losses for 83 outshadow even the combined profits of Apple and IBM for personal computers. It is now 1984. It appears IBM wants it all. Apple is perceived to be the only hope to offer IBM a run for its money. Dealers initially welcoming IBM with open arms now fear an IBM-dominated and controlled future. They are increasingly and desperately turning back to Apple as the only force that can ensure their future freedom. IBM wants it all and is aiming its guns on its last obstacle to industry control, Apple. Will Big Blue dominate the entire computer industry? The entire information age? Was George Orwell right about That ad is going to run one week before Macintosh is introduced. And our ad agency that put it together is here today, Shia Day. Jay Shia's here, the uh, 
principal, uh, Lee Clow and Steve Hayden that uh, wrote the copy and did the creative are also here. You might, I guess they just heard what you thought. So the commercial itself, if you look at it, it's like a militarized life society where it's only all men, all in gray, you know, looking like they're in prison cell, uh, you know, prisoners and being guarded by the militarized police. And they have the monitor where their version of the Antichrist, whoever, you know, one world ruler, or the one that controls everything is telling them what to do and how to live and being dominated in that society. But it isn't a man running down, you know, to uh, free the enslaved people or all the men who really seem to be enslaved. And, and this woman comes up in a colorful short outfit and is running with a hammer to break the screen. Now, all of that is also symbolism. I mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's an old commercial, but it still kind of has a play on what's happening now. You know, the, uh, the movement where women are actually dominating over the men. The men have become feminized, and the world is becoming more militarized, and this race to get to this one world leader. Um, so, you know, why did that designer of that um, production of that commercial would choose it to be like that in 1984, right? It's kind of weird that they had all men in gray, enslaved, and it's a female in colorful, short, skimpy outfit running towards with the hammer. So I think that is also kind of prophetic in some ways. Um, but certainly looking back now, you know, to what it was, to what it is now, that progression has been made. I mean, whatever the reality today is, looks nothing like 1984. And so, you know, Apple was truly, truly instrumental in creating a personal computer. Uh, what he says called a mini computer is really now a handheld device all in your iPhone. You know, your iPhone is an uh, advanced computer that you can do anything you want just right on your own hand. And, you know, without it, it's really hard to live now. You're kind of tied to this smart computer, and there's no way, you know, anyone can say, withdraw from it and say, okay, I'll live my life without it. It's almost impossible because now they're even requiring you to use a QR code to go eat at a restaurant or shop, you know, somewhere else. I mean, they're ushering in all technology to get you closer and closer and closer to the mark of the beast that's coming. Uh, and you're not going to need devices anymore. It's just going to be part of your body. And that's where they're moving towards. So you had, you know, Eve being the rebellious one back in her day to disobey God and ushering in the fallen world. Uh, you know, all these other influential people that have like transformed society are doing the same thing what Eve did uh, more than 2,000 years ago. So all of these companies and these personalities are really um, moving towards satanic kingdom 
even though Steve Jobs and others and Madonna's, they don't look in the beginning, they don't look like they're going to be harmful people or bringing to destroy a nation or the world or a culture. They look normal, they look happy, and it's the kind of people you would want to be around, you want to date or, you know, whatever. They, they don't look like Satan's little children. They look like God's given gift to the world. And, you know, I admire Steve Jobs for what he did. You know, it was kind of cool as a company, if you're going to grow and you're going to live, and create things, you know, creating a mini computer is pretty awesome, and we use it, I use it all the time. So, but the progression, you know, uh, you know, he died uh, with cancer, I think, but you can see the progression from his young days to older. Um, so I have another, you know, few videos about the early Macintosh, how he launched it, and then another phase of his life where I think he was middle-aged uh, where he introduced the iPhone which is pretty amazing to watch that video as well <clears throat> and then towards the end of his career and life he did a speech at a college uh, talking about what was important how he you know the three things that he carries in his life uh, and he never went to college and he sort of explains why that was so, I mean, it's kind of a touching story. So, you know, progressing from Apple, you know, the fight with IBM where they refused to, you know, create the mini computer, I think Apple did a great job from launching till now to produce all this technology. But beware, you know, they're tracking and tracing every movement that we make now. And with COVID uh, restrictions, guess who came out first to, put in the tracking app. It was Apple. You know, they wanted all the new... I wanted... I never had an iPhone up until this year. And I only got one because the company was offering it to me for free. And so, okay, so I switched from an Android to an Apple phone. But previously, I did want the new version of the iPhone. I think it, after uh, 8 or 11 or whatever the version was, they started putting the tracking software for the, you know, to say it's for COVID, but really they wanted that all along, to be able to track and trace every movement, whoever we have around us. So it was kind of like computer talking to other computers around us. That's the only way they can track and trace. So it's no longer you with a device, it's like a beacon where they can monitor and trace everything that you're doing, wherever you are, who you're around, at all times. So this is where Apple has ended. The story isn't over yet. They're still developing more and more. And eventually, I mean, even the new laptops, you, you can sign on with your uh, fingerprint just with one touch. So that means something. That means eventually they're going to be able to log into their system uh, with just a fingerprint if there's an external device at all, or they're going to create something that you can visualize coming through, you know, uh, your own wearables or whatever that uh, you can uh, put on a screen or something. 
But anyway, we don't know what the future holds and how they're going to do it. But we do know from the past till today how they develop so quickly and what, you know, the products look like, how it transformed that from a little box to this pretty awesome looking devices. And the fact that COVID kind of uh, revealed how they want to do what they want to do and how the world is moving. Now we know we're in prison. We're back in 1984. So instead of breaking the glass, you know, through the screen, we're actually now putting it back together and putting us in a little glass bubble that they can track and trace at all times. So watch the next few videos and thank you for watching and I hope that it's enlightening for you to be able to see how Apple plays a big role in the Satanic Kingdom. I love Apple, but they are still part of the Satanic Kingdom. You've just seen some pictures of Macintosh. Now I'd like to show you Macintosh in person. All of the images you are about to see on the large screen will be generated by what's in that bag.
Oshkosh recently. But today, for the first time ever, I'd like to let Macintosh speak for itself. Hello, I'm Macintosh. It sure is great to get out of that bag. And first, as I am to public meeting, I'd like to share with you a match and I thought of the first time I made an IBM mainframe. Never trust a computer you can't play. Obviously, I can talk, but right now, I'd like to sit back and listen. So it is with considerable pride that I introduce a man who's been like a father to me, Steve Jobs. This is a day I've been looking forward to for two and a half years. Every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. And Apple has been, well, first of all, one's very fortunate if you get to work on just one of these in your career. Apple's been very fortunate. It's been able to introduce a few of these into the world. In 1984, we introduced the Macintosh. It didn't just change Apple. It changed the whole computer industry. In 2001, we introduced the first iPod. And it didn't just it didn't just change the way we all listen to music. It changed the entire music industry. Well, today we're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. 
The first one is a widescreen iPod with touch control. The second is a revolutionary And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. So, three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communication device. An iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, Today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. Here it is. There we go, right there. And to unlock the phone, I just take my finger and slide it across. Boom. And this is the home screen of iPhone, right here. I'm uh, honored to be with you today for your commencement from one of the finest universities in the world. Truth be told, uh, I never graduated from college, and uh, this is the closest I've ever gotten to a college graduation. <laughs> Today, I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it. No big deal. Just three stories. The first story is about connecting the dots. I dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but then stayed around as a drop-in for another 18 months or so before I really quit. So why'd I drop out? It started before I was born. My biological mother was a young, unwed graduate student, and she decided to put me up for adoption. She felt very strongly that I should be adopted by college graduates, so everything was all set for me to be adopted at birth by a lawyer and his wife. Except that when I popped out, they decided at the last minute that they really wanted a girl. So my parents, who were on a waiting list, got a call in the middle of the night asking, we've got an unexpected baby boy. Do you want him? They said, of course. My biological mother found out later that my mother had never graduated from college and that my father had never graduated from high school. She refused to sign the final adoption papers. She only relented a few months later when my parents promised that I would go to college. This was the start in my life. And 17 years later, I did go to college. But I naively chose a college that was almost as expensive as Stanford. And all of my working class parents' savings were being spent on my college tuition. After six months, I couldn't see the value in it. 
I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and no idea how college was going to help me figure it out. And here I was, spending all the money my parents had saved their entire life. So I decided to drop out and trust that it would all work out okay. It was pretty scary at the time, but looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on the ones that looked far more interesting. It wasn't all romantic. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in friends' rooms. I returned Coke bottles for the five-cent deposits to buy food with. And I would walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night to get one good meal a week at the Hare Krishna temple. I loved it. And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let me give you one example. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphed. Because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography great. It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture. And I found it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me. And we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have them. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. My second story is about love and loss. I was lucky. I found what I loved to do early in life. Waz and I started Apple in my parents' garage when I was 20. We worked hard, and in 10 years, Apple had grown from just the two of us in a garage into a $2 billion company with over 4,000 employees. We just released our finest creation, the Macintosh, a year earlier, and I just turned 30. And then I got fired. How can you get fired from a company you started? Well, as Apple grew, we hired someone who I thought was very talented to run the company with me. And for the first year or so, things went well. But then our visions of the future began to diverge, and eventually we had a falling out. When we did, our board of directors sided with him. And so at 30, 
I was out, and very publicly out. What had been the focus of my entire adult life was gone, and it was devastating. I really didn't know what to do for a few months. I felt that I had let the previous generation of entrepreneurs down, that I had dropped the baton as it was being passed to me. I met with David Packard and Bob Noyce and tried to apologize for screwing up so badly. I was a very public failure and I even thought about running away from the valley. But something slowly began to dawn on me. I still loved what I did. The turn of events at Apple had not changed that one bit. I'd been rejected, but I was still in love. And so I decided to start over. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again, less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. During the next five years, I started a company named Next, another company named Pixar, and fell in love with an amazing woman who would become my wife. Pixar went on to create the world's first computer animated feature film, Toy Story, and is now the most successful animation studio in the world. In a remarkable turn of events, Apple bought Next, and I returned to Apple, and the technology we developed at Next is at the heart of Apple's current renaissance. And Lorene and I have a wonderful family together. I'm pretty sure none of this would have happened if I hadn't been fired from Apple. It was awful tasting medicine, but I guess the patient needed it. Sometime life, sometimes life's going to hit you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. I'm convinced that the only thing that kept me going was that I loved what I did. You've got to find what you love. And that is as true for work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And like any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking. Don't settle. My third story is about death. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. <laughs> it made an impression on me. And since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. About a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a scan at 7.30 in the morning, and it clearly showed a tumor on my pancreas. I didn't even know what a pancreas was. The doctors told me 
this was almost certainly a type of cancer that is incurable and that I should expect to live no longer than three to six months. My doctor advised me to go home and get my affairs in order, which is doctor's code for prepare to die. It means to try and tell your kids everything. You thought you'd have the next 10 years to tell them in just a few months. It means to make sure everything is buttoned up so that it will be as easy as possible for your family. It means to say your goodbyes. I live with that diagnosis all day. Later that evening, I had a biopsy where they stuck an endoscope down my throat, through my stomach and into my intestines, put a needle into my pancreas and got a few cells from the tumor. I was sedated, but my wife, who was there, told me that when they viewed the cells under a microscope, the doctor started crying because it turned out to be a very rare form of pancreatic cancer that is curable with surgery. I had the surgery, and thankfully, I'm fine now. This was the closest I've been to facing death, and I hope it's the closest I get for a few more decades. Having lived through it, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet, death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. When I was young, there was an amazing publication called the Whole Earth Catalog, which was one of the Bibles of my generation. It was created by a fellow named Stuart Brand, not far from here in Menlo Park, and he brought it to life with his poetic touch. This was in the late 60s, before personal computers and desktop publishing, so it was all made with typewriters, scissors, and Polaroid cameras. It was sort of like Google in paperback form 35 years before Google came along. It was idealistic, overflowing with neat tools and great notions. Stuart and his team put out several issues of the Whole Earth Catalog. And then, when it had run its course, they put out a final issue. It was the mid-1970s, and I was your age. On the back cover of their final issue was a photograph of an early morning country road, the kind you might find yourself hitchhiking on if you were so adventurous. Beneath it were the words, stay hungry, stay foolish. It was their farewell message as they signed off. Stay hungry, stay foolish. And I have always wished that for myself. And now, as you graduate to begin anew, 
I wish that for you. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Thank you all very much.